Welcome to our CyberWise Chats, where we talk about the challenges of raising and teaching digital kids. I'm Diana Graber, author of Raising Humans in a Digital World and founder of CyberWise and CyberCivics. Join every episode with Dr. Pamela Rutledge, who's the director of the Media Psychology Research Center. Our always lively conversations tackle topics like cyberbullying, screen time, TikTok, and everything in between. We've got some great guests and promise each chat will give you the tips, tricks, and confidence you need to help kids use technology safely and wisely. Yay. All right. Give people a minute to join. And it looks like we're live on Facebook. Oh my goodness. I know that's awesome. Yay. Tech Tuesday chat for Victorious. Yay. All right. So welcome everyone to our CyberWise chat. Um, I'm Diana Graber from CyberWise, an author of Raising Humans in a Digital World. I'm here today with Dr. Pamela Rutledge, who's the director of the Media Psychology Research Center and Arias Collins of CyberWise and CyberCivics, who is here to answer your questions. And I'm kind of excited about our topic today. Um, it's called Deplatformed or How to Talk to Kids About Their Social Media Use. And I was really excited to talk about this topic because I had a really interesting uh, event happen in one of my cyber civics classes. Those of you who know me know that I still teach cyber civics at Journey School on Zoom these days. And um, after the Capitol riots, our class was completely derailed because we got a chance to talk about so many things that we've been studying in our classes. For example, um, Last year, I had the kids read the terms of use of many of the popular social media apps. So they thought back to that because they remembered the kind of behavior that these apps expect us to use. Um, they thought back to their digital reputation and how important it is to think about what you post online because they saw how many of the capital rioters were found <laughs> because of their digital Oops. reputations. Yeah, and, and probably most importantly is um, they thought back to a lesson they'd done two years ago about the traits of being a good digital citizen, you know, being honest, respectful, compassionate, responsible, courageous, and how those really apply to everything we do online and off. So I thought it was such a rich conversation. I wanted to replicate that uh, here today. Also, Pam wrote a really great article on psychology today that I encourage you to read called Do You Rely on Facebook to Monitor Online Behavior? Um, I'm going to ask Arias to read you one line from it real quick, which I thought was really great. It encapsulates everything she writes about, if you have it handy. I love this. I do. It's such a beautiful quote. All right. Let me just grab it. Social media policies need to start at home and they need to reflect our values. Those early lessons we teach our kids, honesty, fairness, determination, consideration, and love. It's time we rolled up our sleeves and pitched in on the fight. Um, social media isn't going anywhere, nor should it. Let's reclaim it. Excellent. I mean, Thank I think you. that's so well said. And for that reason, and so many more, we couldn't pass up this opportunity to talk about the great teachable moments that we have right now. So Absolutely. without further ado, we got a little help from the news this morning, Pam. You probably saw yeah. Mike Lindell. The My Pillow guy was permanently banned from Twitter for repeat violations of civic integrity. Can you please explain that to us? Oh, well, I mean, it, what it's what it's showing is that there have been some fallout from what happened in Washington. Seventy thousand accounts have been suspended as a result of the efforts after post that uh, Washington violence. 
because they're going through and looking for things that really do violate their policies on inciting violence or inciting hate, um, you know, and in behavior that is a violation of their their policies. For poor Mr. Pillow, um, it shows really importantly how the implications of those kinds of things ripple out across your life, right? So just for a kid who posts badly and might not make it into college, Mr. Pillow's lost retailers in his stores, right? Mr. Pillow is no longer being carried by Bed Bath & Beyond and Kohl's. And he's facing litigation from the Dominion voting systems for claiming that they contributed to fraud during election with no evidence. And he is was kicked off in part because his tweets encouraged uh, people in Minnesota to uh, to rise up and to try and get Trump to declare martial law to avoid counting the ballots. So it's the accountability is really increasing. And I think that that's a really encouraging thing to your kids. I mean, I think that's partly what they were responding to is finally you've been teaching us this stuff. No, there's no consequences, and, right. And there were consequences. And so now it's like, fine. right, right. So you know, uh, for the, for those of you with us, we try to really encourage questions. So if you have any questions, please put them in the chat box and areas will field them to us. And I actually put them out in social media ahead of time. And this is a question I heard so much this week, probably you did too, Pam, but aren't social media sites like Twitter violating the First Amendment when they revoke someone's ability to have an account? I feel like that question really points to how much civic education is lacking in schools today. So, Well, you know, I, I was thinking about that and, and I thought this was a really interesting question, partly because this idea of free speech is so much a part of our national identity right. that it's it, that it has meaning independent of what is actually written in the amendment. Right. And so the amendment actually says that Congress shall make no law respect, you know, respect to individual, you know, religion or free speech that the government can um, actually in, enforce. It has nothing to do with private companies, but we assume that this free speech is some kind of part of our whole social fabric. Right. And private companies have the right, you know, to refuse service to, you know, whether that means use Twitter or, you know, have a cup of coffee if you're behaving badly in the middle of a cafe. And even the government, which I thought is really important for people. To, you can't just say anything. Right. Yeah. It's so funny because I, I, I asked my students that I said, do you guys understand the first amendment? Right. And they said, yes, you cannot yell fire in a crowded building. Well, like, Good job guys. <laughs> yeah. If that's all you remember, that's enough. And that, I think that's the thing you bring up a good point. These are private companies. They're held to their own rules and their rules are very clear. When you join the price of a membership, you get this free account on Facebook in exchange for adhering to the rules that they set. And right. for some reason that just sends everybody a Twitter. <laughs> you know what I mean? But this is, this is our social bargain. And I think, you know, for me, it's really about responsibility of teaching kids that this is how it works. And, you know, as you guys know, that's a big lesson we have in cyber civics is kids actually read the terms of use of the social media sites they use very carefully. They're very long and tedious, but they do it together and they dive in and they find the things that, you know, they get excited about or worried about or upset about and they remember. And I think, you know, in some ways adults have not done this, done this well, work. Even going back, if you go back, I encourage all of you to go back and read the first amendment because even it addresses the idea that we are citizens of a larger concern, right? Of a society. So there are certain things that are not protected. 
right. isn't, you can't just say anything. We have to navigate this sort of space together. So, you know, you can't incite violence. You can't, you know, defame or create fraud or do any of those things are not all protected. Right. It isn't, you know, free speech is, is well, is not free. There's a price, right? Yeah. You know, I actually pulled, I pulled that oh, list the terms of you. Really quick, Amy had a really great um, point in the chat box. I just wanted to share it with you both. Um, she said, the biggest focus I have with my students when we discuss being a digital citizen is that once you put something out there, it never goes away and there are consequences. And we're totally seeing that right now. Thank yeah. you for sharing, Amy. Thank you, Amy. And I think you're right. I think for the first time kids are seeing there are consequences because for so long there have not been. Um, but I wanted to make one more point regarding that First Amendment topic, because uh, I pulled the terms of use um, lesson that we do with the kids. And the first term terminology that we talked about is what is a legally binding contract or agreement. And if you read the use agreements of every social media company out there, they start with the thing. This is a legally binding contract. So we sign away. We sign that. We agree to that to use them. And I think. You know, like Amy said, I'm excited to see that there's finally some consequences happening. Right. Yeah. And people need to be a little bit thoughtful when they click the agree button yeah. to, uh, to understand. And I think we'll talk about some of those today, sort of the, the breadth of the rights that you are agreeing to and giving away simultaneously. Right. So um, we've seen a lot of social media companies act in the last week and a half or two weeks. Um to deplatform people who have violated violated their terms of use. Quick coverage of who they are so far. Twitter, as we know, Reddit, Twitch, Shopify, Google, YouTube, Facebook, Okta, Instagram, Snapchat, TikTok, Apple, Discord, Pinterest, Amazon, Stripe, and Twilio. Just a partial list. So that's a lot. That's a lot of action. That is a lot. So another question we got regarding that, Pam, how do social media companies decide when someone has crossed the line? Do they have the right to make that choice? Well, absolutely, they have the right to make that choice. I mean, we just talked about that. They're private companies. But the other thing is that we have to remember, we can't rely on them. If you look at the volume of content that gets posted in a single day, 350 million photos are uploaded on Facebook every day. 300 hours of video per minute shows up on YouTube. And 500 million tweets go out per day. What would it take? I mean, let's say you had the best algorithms in the whole world. What would it take to try and monitor that? And how would you make sense out of it? I don't want to be the guy sitting in a little team of people trying to figure out, you know, what's okay and what's not okay, because okay is subjective. So expecting these companies to do that, I think, is, is a sort of misplaced trust. At the same time, we have to understand that we're already bound by these things that you're talking about, the, right. the agreements that we signed. Right. You know, and that's one of the things that I really say again and again to my students is like, we have to give the social media companies help. And all of these apps and sites have mechanisms where we can report bad behavior, we can report misinformation, we can report things that violate their terms of use. And I always encourage my students to use that and report that stuff. And it completely works. I mean, I think I've said this before, probably, but um, I do this a lot on Facebook. I hate misinformation. It drives me nuts. And so I'm always marking false news, false news. And lo and behold, within an hour, usually that stuff is blocked by Facebook. So it really works. The apps need help and, and we need to right. 
Well, you know, those same algorithms that show you, you know, the Shapiro shoes that you bought last week, um, you know, on a Facebook ad is also keeping track of things that have been tagged as fake news. Yeah. So the um, that actually helps, it, it, even though it feels like, well, what difference does it make if I just do something? It adds up as long as everybody's doing it. And, you know, and to that end, we were talking a little bit ago that that Twitter is trying to figure out how to sort of crowdsource or uh, the misinformation because they recognize the limits of their own, you know, ability to uh, to monitor it all. So they're creating essentially a Wikipedia forum where people try and, you know, show evidence that things are misinformation and deba debate it so that it has something where there's a public forum. So it isn't just one person or one machine trying to make a decision. Right. I saw Arius's hand go up. So <laughs> oh, I just, in my, in my cyber civics class last week, I taught them how to share that it's fake news. And in just those three little dots in the upper right hand corner of the post, it'll give you an option to do that. Um, and I think that they feel so empowered when they're able to take action like that. So, and they're such great advocates to have online. So I just wanted to jump no, in and an, say that. What an opportunity to have a conversation with kids oh, about when you're showing them those dots, what should be flagged? What should be right. blocked? Right. And right. not just from watching other people, but think about what do you do that should, you know, that someone else might flag or that right. someone else might take mm -hmm. exception to so that they can start to understand the complexity, the subjectivity and the need for participation. Yeah, but I will tell you, when I had a conversation with one of my classes, they told me, and every kid seemed to know about some video that was on TikTok that was anti-LGBTQT, whatever, very derogatory. A bunch of the kids had reported it and flagged it, and it did not get taken down. And so as part of our conversation, we quickly turned to TikTok to see what it did not allow. And it says it does not allow violent extremism, hateful behavior, illegal activities, violent and graphic content suicide, health, harm, harassment or bullying, adult nudity and sexual activities. And it, it violated a couple of those. And the kids, they asked me, they said, what else can we do? TikTok is still playing that video and it drives us nuts. And so that, I, I don't even know how to answer that question because I feel like maybe the social media companies need to do a little more or be more responsive. You know, I mean, one way would be to have sort of a helpline, right? If you, if you raised a complaint, but the other is, use the other social media, right? You can certainly tweet, TikTok's not responding to content we're flagging. Yeah. yeah. And mm -hmm. put it on Facebook, TikTok's yeah. not responding. And we flagged this, you know, 12 of us have flagged this video and it's still there. That, that's a really good idea. Because, mm -hmm. you know, it works the same with customer service. If you can't get, you know, your uh, you know vacuum repaired, you, you, you go on Twitter and you say, gee, I don't think this vacuum company, you know, is very responsive and right. instantly they respond. So <laughs> we have so much power. We have to so use, true. use it. So this, this question kind of goes hand in hand with what we just talked about, but do the social media apps that kids use, TikTok, Snapchat, monitor users' behavior? How do they do it? Can a child lose his or her account? Well, if any, anyone can you lose their account. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and as we said before that, you can't rely on them, however, to manage the content. But, you know, as we were just talking, you have to think about ways, how do you leverage your own um, power? 
in your own voice to draw things to their attention about what's not okay. I mean, there's not much difference between that and cyberbullying in terms of being an upstander, right? Don't just let it go by. Um, you ha- you have to speak up. And while I would encourage every parent to teach their kid how to block stuff and to you know have conversations about that content and and taking that action because it is important to have boundaries. Right. I would also say you should report it. Yeah. And one thing I really encourage parents to do is when your child is finally ready to have a social media account, follow the rules. 13 is the minimum age, but sit down with them and read their community guidelines, their user agreement, their privacy policy, whatever they call it. Their page is long. They're super long, but read them with it. When your kid says, oh my God, that's going to take way too long. I want you to say to your child, how many hours are you going to spend on TikTok? Okay. This is a fraction of the time that you're going to invest in this app in the next 10, 20 years, whatever. So let's sit down and read this together. And I, Arius will concur. Kids at you know that age love to find adult errors and faults. And so they'll <laughs> oftentimes and they'll say, I don't like this. This doesn't, I don't agree to this. And you know, I just I pulled up the TikTok's community agreement and it's it's written in a way that kids can understand. It's just TikTok's mission is to inspire creativity and bring joy, blah, blah, blah. And it talks about all the things they expect of their community members. So again, I think it's price of admission of these child kid apps that kids use. Have them read this stuff. They're not going to follow rules they don't understand. Well, and they need to know what they're giving up. I mean, Twitter has the right to offer the use of your content to other companies. Yeah. Without, you know, I mean, you don't have copyright ownership over your content. And that includes news organizations or pretty much anybody who wants to embed a tweet. You also give Twitter the right to collect and use your data. And they can share it, not just like on their servers around the world, but they can share it with what they refer to as their affiliates, which is basically anyone that they have a financial agreement with to supply data. Um, so I think it's that when kids see, you I mean they can they can use my photos at Facebook. Facebook owns your photos. Yeah, you don't yeah. own your photos. It's funny because I had my students last year did TikTok, and they discovered that TikTok can use your content, your pictures, you in advertisements in other countries, and that freaked them out. And then a couple of years ago, they looked at Snapchat and they discovered, you know, they thought everything disappears on Snapchat, and then they found buried in the terms or somewhere a privacy policy that the stuff never disappears. Snapchat keeps everything. And so that kind of freaked them out. So this is the stuff I worry to tell this to kids. They go in one ear and out the other, but when they discover it from themselves, they remember it. And sometimes they'll choose not to use the app or perhaps use a different app or use it differently. Right. I know, Aries, you just did that lesson with your kids, didn't you? I did. Yeah, they were, um, it was so fun because in the lesson we talk about, if this happened in real life and you had a personal detective, like collecting all your personal information, how would you feel about that? You know, and then relating that to then shifting gears and looking through the privacy policies. Um, and it was really incredible. They have such a fresh take on it. Well, I, th- I think how different that is to f- think about your stuff as not being your stuff. Right. So, I mean, Mm -hmm. so Amy's comment is absolutely right that you should only share content that you are comfortable sharing because the internet is permanent, it is searchable, and it is not in your control. So, Mm -hmm. you know, and what the, but you do have 
a control in the sense that you can block, you can report, and that off button belongs to you, baby. Mm-hmm. So here's here's another one. Um, can a parent get into trouble for their child's behavior on social media? How about the child? And, and I will say before you jump in, Pam, I do know that in the case of sexting, um, if the phone is owned by the parent and there are naked pictures of a child in that phone, technically the parent is the holder of child pornography. So let that sink in for a moment. That's a very important um, conversation to have with your children. And also in some cases, parents have been held accountable if their children engage in cyberbullying via their apps or via their, their phones as well. So, but can you think of other, uh, other ways that parents are held accountable for their child's behavior? Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, first of all, as you say, there are some some cases where where the legal ramifications are really serious. And and sexting is an unusually difficult, and it varies, as you know, state by state. Um, But that's that's a felony offense. That's like you just gave up your right to vote for the rest of your life if you're convicted. So you're, you know, and I mean, with huge consequences to a child's future if if they're involved. But, but there are social ramifications. I mean, aside from the fact that you could be held legally liable, nothing happens in isolation, right? So if, if your kid is involved in bullying and it gets reported to the school, then maybe they get suspended or it goes on their school record. Or now, you know, your friends at the community center aren't talking to you anymore because they're mad at your kids. So there's all of these implications that influence your life in both short-term unimportant and long-term super important ways to, because this is, there is no difference between online and offline in our world. It's all one continuous social environment, one place where we're all a member of a community and all this stuff, you know, what, what they say goes around, comes around. Yeah. And and the other thing I would say is, um, again, these are great teachable moments. I found a great resource on that, that I posted to our Facebook page today. So if you're on Facebook right now, you can look at it. It's a great article about how to talk to kids about all these events that are happening in real time. Um, I know also through Cyber Civics, um, we have a Facebook group just for our teachers. And within that group, the teachers are sharing different ways that they've addressed these topics, sharing PowerPoints, et cetera, which is really wonderful. That's awesome. It's really cool. So, I mean, in one way, it's so depressing to see what's happening, but in another way, it's empowering because it gives us real life things to talk to our kids about. and Finally, they're starting to see, as we said earlier, consequences for online actions. And I think that's really important. Super important because all this stuff existed before. So, you know, good news, bad news. Now we see it. Now we see it. Right. But that, as you say, gives us these teachable moments. And it's such an opportunity for parents to sit down and say, here, this event happened. Tell me what you know about it. Tell me what you want to know about it. Because, you know, it's a little bit like, um, you know, you're looking at one thing and they're looking at another. So you really need to understand what they want to know about an event because they're going to have very personal concerns. Some, someone so got kicked off. Could that happen to me? You know, or, uh, you know, are people going to riot in my street? I mean, you don't know what they're worried about. So to listen and try and set your own emotions and anxiety aside and really have a conversation is so valuable, not just for that moment, but for, as we're continually saying, all out that soapbox, but to establish that trust and conversation for, for the duration so that any of these issues become a point for conversation and sharing because you've got that trust. Right. And the other thing is we're seeing some positive 
things happening as a result of the social media companies stepping up. Um, I saw research this morning that misinformation surrounding election fraud has dropped 73% since the social media companies took these actions. Um, in addition to that, mentions of election fraud went down from 2.5 million to under 700,000 in just two weeks. So, you know, those are the positive things, misinformation. Right. We need to take action there because it's so harmful to society. So, you know, kudos to the social media networks taking action, kudos to individual people that are actually doing things. As right. well. so that's pretty exciting. Absolutely. Yeah, I think, you know, when it comes to everyone, carrots work better than sticks. So don't, you know, don't beat up your kids for for doing brown things. Use that to teach. Don't, you know, badmouth the social media companies because they didn't do it before. Applaud that they are doing it now. Yeah, and help because that's Yeah, and, and help, right. Because that's how you get positive going forward is not by complaining about what they didn't do, but rewarding what they did. Right. So we have about five more minutes. We have one more question that I wanted to get to. Okay. Uh, my daughter just opened an account on TikTok. Um, how do I talk to her about her online behavior? To me, it seems like anything goes on TikTok. Yeah, kind of well, seems like. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's it, TikTok <laughs> is in, is really interesting because it's sort of the new hip thing, and whatever is all the rage. You have to understand that it isn't just about the app. There's a huge amount of social capital or street cred or whatever, however kids talk about things like that, that comes with being familiar with whatever the hip tool is. So it makes sense that they would all try and experiment with it. And if you take the time to understand how content is delivered, the choices that get made and, sh and, and served up are based on your own activity, on your preferences, and the, but understand the sort of psychological draw of those apps, then you can have be a little bit more compassionate in how you're dealing with the kids when you're trying to explain to them your concerns about it or what to do when they run afoul of something that's um, inappropriate. Right. And the other thing I do have to give them kudos for having a really great uh, new update to their platform. It's called Family Sharing. Oh, which is really great. It's it's probably the best parental controls on an app that I've seen out there so far. So in essence, what it means is a parent can pair their account on TikTok with their child and it allows them all kinds of control in regards to content, time on the app, who can contact their child, what they like, et cetera. It's very robust. It's really easy to use. Um, and I really encourage parents to dive in and try it because it will help you to control the content. I will tell you that I have TikTok and I check it out quite often. And it is kind of shocking, the content on it. You know, 80% of it's funny, not 20% of it's really raunchy. And just, I would not want my kid spending time looking right. at it. But we have that control. So use the settings, go into, again, it's called family pairing. It's very excellent on that app. And then if you ever need help with that, um, again, on the CyberWise site, we have a section on TikTok that you're welcome to look at. You want to teach your kids these lessons so they can be empowered to learn all this stuff on their own. Our cyber civics uh, curriculum is available for families. So do reach out, check that out as well. Um, so easy to help kids learn how to be smart on their apps and be good users by teaching them from the very beginning when they first join how to be a good citizen. Right. Yeah, no, I think that's that you're right, that parental controls are ought to be used as a means of having that conversation with the kid too. Don't just skulk around and don't tell them what you're doing. That needs to be very transparent. And so they understand 
that they need to take charge and be good critical thinkers and good, you know, ethically responsible. Right. And the bottom line is with great opportunity comes great responsibility. So we all have a great platform to say what we want, but we have to remember that we cannot yell fire in a crowded (laughs) building. That's right. (laughs) Exactly. So, um, hey, I just wanted to say that I'm really excited for our next chat, which is going to be three weeks from today. So we've invited our friend Rick Andrew Lilly, I hope I said his last name correctly, from Parentology to join us. And the reason we've done that is because they've ran some great stories in the last year about, speaking of TikTok, TikTok challenges. Um, I know Pam is familiar with some of those. Some of them are funny. Some of them are cute. Some of them are dangerous. So we're going to take a look at TikTok challenges next time. Pam is going to explain to us um, the psychology behind them and why kids are so drawn to these challenges. So I really hope you'll join us again three weeks from today, same place, same time. So, <laughs> right. Any any last words, girls? Did we get it? We got it. All right. Got it. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, Thank you. We'll yes. See you in three weeks, and please talk to your kids about current events. Lots of teachable moments right now. So, absolutely. Okay.